Welcome back to another episode of our Spotify Live Q&A show, where we answer your Detroit Lions questions live here on the Spotify Live app, at least for the next three weeks, because unfortunately, Spotify Live is ending its services at the end of the month. But we'll get into that a little bit later. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer of Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online. With me to help answer your questions is, first of all, senior editor of Pride of Detroit at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm fantastic. It's just a bummer that, you know, this app's death coincides with the beginning of spring. I feel like there's True. something biblical here, but I'll, well, I'll, I'll just zoom past that. <laughs> it is Easter weekend. Um, I am not the, the proper person to make such analogies. Uh, <laughs> as it, as this is also Passover weekend, uh, but we don't need to get into any of that. Let's move on to our second co-host. Let's here. pass over that. Hey, well done. Well done. Um, Let's uh, let's talk to our managing editor of Pride of Detroit at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric is here. How are you doing, man? Hey, man. I am uh, sad yet excited to be joining you two for the final episode before the penultimate episode <laughs> of Spotify Live. Well done. Well done. You used the P word that I had been saving for next week. Uh, yeah, uh, w- the future of the app is uh, of, of this show is kind of unknown right now. Um, we'll we'll kind of talk about it more once we get closer to it but this is our live call-in show so we are going to get straight to the callers uh first on our list is mathis mathis welcome back to the show how you doing mathis doing all right glad to join the pre-penultimate show i guess Um, (laughs) so um one of the uh one of the reports coming out from uh, from uh, so I saw Daniel Jeremiah. People really started to talk about it. Is that the safety class is actually like paper thin? I believe were his exact words. Um, do you think you guys could go a little bit more into uh, first of all why it's so paper thin? Like what like what who like how many prospects are worth drafting? And then like um, and just and just talk about um, what that means for us. Like, because I think we still would need like a, so- a slot corner slash safety role for the future. So what, what should, how do you think we're going to prepare for that? It's a good question, Mathis. I feel like we don't talk about safety a ton. And obviously this year, not a huge need with, with Tracy coming back and Kirby and um, obviously CJ Gardner Johnson able to play some of that safety. We'll see if he's maybe more suited for a nickel role in this defense. Um, but I'll throw it to you, Eric. Um, first of all, Talk to talk to us about like how many maybe starting capable players you think there are in this draft at safety and, and, and how that and what that means for the lines in this draft. Yeah, I think the trick is it's it's is how do you qualify a player as a safety versus a slot defender versus a like box hang defender. And and that's really the crux of this safety class is that you've got guys like Brian Branch who are technically were a safety in college yet he played mostly nickel and so in that slot and so he really doesn't qualify as a traditional safety but he's a first rounder after him you have a handful of other day two guys that you can look at but again a lot of them are more like specialty type uh you know defensive backs as opposed to the traditional like too high single high type safeties and and that's really what makes the class i guess paper thin at the safety position is you lack those traditional guys um the next 
I guess, quote unquote, safety off the board is probably like Antonio Johnson. But he's again, he's more of like a slot slash box. He's kind of like a Jeremy Chin type of player where you can line him up in different spots, similar to like, I guess, what how the Lions are probably going to use uh, Gardner Johnson. And then you have a handful of other guys like that that I think would interest the Lions. Um, Jamie Robinson out of Florida State. Christopher Smith out of Georgia, and then the two Illinois safeties, uh, Sidney Brown and uh, Jartavius Martin, are both guys that can live in the slot, but also have a you know some safety experience, and and that's I think what's going to appeal to the Lions. But for like a, a a team looking for a pure safety, there's really only a couple, like uh, Jordan Battle out of Alabama, J.L. Skinner out of Boise State, uh, Jair Brown out of Penn State. Like those are really the only like couple of like pure safeties that are probably going to go in like the first four rounds which is why uh it's being looked at as as paper thin but again yeah to to get back to what mathis was saying i'd keep an eye on those hybrid guys where you there's you know probably like five of them that you can find in the first like five rounds and you know all of them you could probably justify taking maybe in the third because of their upside it's just a matter of uh of preference and, 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 you know, how deep you want to go into the draft before addressing that. Yeah. The, and the lines kind of find themselves in a tricky spot though, right? Like they have CJ Gardner Johnson to, to play that yeah. role and he's only 25 years old, but at the same time, if, if he's as good as everyone expects him to be this year, he's going to come very, very, very expensive next year. And the lines could play, you know, the compensatory pick game. They, if, if they draft a guy, then suddenly they just get younger and cheaper at that position. Um, I'm curious. I'll throw this to Ryan. Like, obviously, the lines don't have to sign one of these kind of safeties. But I guess if the right guy is there, would you do it? You know, I I just don't view it very high on their list of of needs. And and I know that that doesn't really matter in this draft, right? Like, it's almost like, hey, if the if the value strikes you, then, you know, go get your guy um, in case you need an insurance policy for, you know, Tracy's rehab from his Achilles, which by all, you know, by all news um seems like they're they're anticipating him to be to be ready to go so um i i you know eric and i talked about this uh the other day um we were just to tease our, our next mock draft like you know we, we were we were doing our drafting and we were talking a little bit and um you know i want him to talk a little bit more about why he thinks cj gardner johnson might be like more of a fixture for this team because i mean just look at how the market kind of settled for a guy like him and and i, I you know, our, our interview that we had with with brandon lee gouton jeremy um on first bite i think the thing that stuck out to me the most was when brandon said you know you can't have much of a better season than cj gj had with the eagles and look at look at the market that was there for him and and so I, I'll, I'll pass it to eric like do you just view like the lions maybe passing on safety because you know, they, they feel like they have a nice little core with Tracy and Kirby and, and now CJ GJ, who is on a one-year deal, but seems like he's in the right spot with Aaron Glenn. Yeah, I mean, look, Tracy Walker signed through 2024. So was CJ Moore. So was Iffy. And then Kirby signed through 2025. So right off the bat, this is actually the position group that has the most players signed through 2024. And then you add in the fact that, yeah, like Will Harris and, and Gardner Johnson are both on one-year deals. It, it, it is a position group that they could 
you know, uh, you know, take a beat on. I, I like Gardner Johnson's fit with the Lions. I would fit with the coaching staff. I think he can have a wildly successful year under Aaron Glenn, uh, similar to what he his his success that he found in New Orleans, and maybe even more because of the fact that he's older, more mature, taking on a different role. And so, I think the the long term fit is is a a real potential with, with Gardner Johnson. And I could see them taking a similar approach like they're doing at the quarterback position where they're going to kind of see how he goes, look at what his numbers might be, look at what he might be looking at and, and, and then address the situation down the line and not feel really pressed to, to add another uh, depth guy at the same time. Um, if the right guy presents himself, then that is you know not something that Brad Holmes is going to pass on. But if you start doing, if you start playing the numbers game and you start looking at all of the corners and all of the safeties, the defensive backs as, as, as a whole, and you start trying to, you know, count how many the Lions are going to keep, it gets really tight because you've got three starters that you've added or three, three, three guys that were starting on other teams last year that you've added. You've returned all three of your starters from last year. You've got all four of your top safeties from last year. Now, if you draft a corner or, and then draft a safety, like you're, you're getting up to like 12 guys that you've invested in and, and that gets, it gets really hard to find room for all of them. And so I do think adding a defensive back is, is on the table, but if they're going to take a corner, they may not take a safety and vice versa. It's because there's not a whole lot of room or there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of room for, you know, when you're starting to look ahead towards the, the, the 53 man roster and playing the numbers game. Uh, appreciate the question, Mathis. That's you, you have found a topic that we somehow have not discussed much. So I, I very much appreciate that. No problem guys. Have a good weekend. You too. All right. Next up on our call, we got Dan Pask. Dan, what's up, man? Uh, hi, Jeremy. Can you hear me? Okay. You're good. <sighs> okay. Well, I'm going to stick with my original question, even though that uh, community mod pick, uh, pod pick 15 of green Bay picking BJ Robertson definitely felt like taunting. I wanted to throw a flag. Um, But I have a question, and it's about contracts that I've been sitting on for a bit, and it's a bit different. In many ways, you can sort of act like Judge Judy or help heal a a fan base, or if you think it's a a question that won't be answered well and just inflame people, I'm in the mind of helping people unite at the moment. But it's about Calvin Johnson, and you know, obviously with Disney um, doing you know doing some good stuff and healing what Rod Woods did initially. My question is about this, and it came from your midweek mailbag where you guys were talking about, and it might be the Greeks talking about 20% or 20 million for a, what's a good amount for a quarterback that you can still build a good team around and go to the Super Bowl. And you started talking about backloading contracts. And, and I, it occurred to me because we've seen a lot. I think Bob Quinn was the first person to do that sort of void year that I remember. The Lions, and he, I think only did it once or whatever, whatever uh, one year worth. And then we started doing two years and stuff like that, maybe a bit later on. And and obviously seeing seeing the Panthers pick, uh, the Panthers tra- uh, deal for DJ Shark is just awe-inspiring, you know, having four years of uh, void picks. But it all goes comes due if he doesn't stay on the team, right? I, I think that's how it works. But anyway, crikey, I will get there, I promise. But with Calvin, and, okay, so it comes to this. 
the, the, the signing bonus, you know, being disputed and stuff like that. What you guys were talking about on Wednesdays, and it could have been in a break, about backloading contracts. I've always felt like backloading contracts and that may have been what happened with Gardner Johnson and stuff like that. It's not a slight to the player, but it's a timeline for their exit from the team. Like it's just the cap space is too big and, you know, we're just not going to handle it. And you, you guys talked about um, – he talked about Mahomes uh, at that time as well. So this is my question. And is it oh, – crikey. So very inflammatory. Is is it fair to say that, you know, although Calvin Johnson didn't uh, work those last years to get that signing bonus, maybe he was never going to get them because the, the cap was so huge by that point. And, you know, as I say, whatever they've done in the background to figure out the money – where Calvin's not bringing it up. I, I love him. I grew up with him. And I'm so glad we have him and back in the fold, getting back in the fold. So I'm, I'm a homer on that side. So I'm, I'm not going to give a vote. I'm just asking for what your opinion is on it, please. And then I'll just end it with one thing. And it was, I wanted to do a fan post on it, but I realized the fan post was just this line. BJ, uh, uh, sorry, BJ at Robinson. <laughs> BJ Robinson at 18 is a gateway drug to BJ Robinson at six. And you know it makes sense. He's the last, he's the last blue chipper. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, okay. This is this is kind of an interesting way to like look in retrospect of the Calvin Johnson deal. Um, if if you're unfamiliar, you forgot, basically the Lions recouped a portion of his signing bonus, which is given to him right away, right? The the, the signing bonus hit on the salary cap is spread out through the entire uh, contract. But be, since he ended the contract early, all of that signing bonus proration hits on the year that he um, retires. So the Lions may not have been prepared for that. And that's why they asked for the money back, which they are allowed to do. Um, they can te- they can technically ask for as much left in that proration as possible. They asked for a, a fraction of that 1.6 million, I think is what the final figure was. So, I'll throw it to, to Ryan first is the fact that like now these teams are doing these um, void years to spread out that proration. Now that teams are, are backloading contracts that often players are getting cut. Does that maybe give, and, and, and those guys get to keep like the signing bonus, right? Those guys, no one asked for their signing bonus back when they get cut. No one asked for their signing bonus when, you know, uh, on these void years, it all it all comes to to hit the team, and and it's understood that way. So I guess are, does that give Calvin Johnson a little bit more? I don't know uh, leeway in in what he in in, in his reason in to his be upset. feelings and his yeah yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that gold jacket gave him all the reasons to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to to have to have a problem with this. You know, I mean, like in all sincerity, because here's the other thing too, right? Like. Um, I know to Dan's point, like, Hey, there could have been a possibility that, you know, uh, Calvin may have not seen, you know, seen that money. Well, I mean, Calvin was going to see that money cause he was never going to be a cap casualty. He was never going to be anything like that. Right. Like, I, I mean, in terms of Calvin and his feelings about getting a chunk of that 1.6 million, you know, recoup from him, I, he had every reason to feel that way. I mean, <clears throat> I, I think I, I always go back to that image, right. Of, of him close up and his fingers in, in all different geometric shapes. Um, you know, just the, the, the wear and tear that he put on his body. I mean, the, 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 the talks about how even in his rookie season, you know, like getting towards the end of the rookie season and he's like, you know, it, it was a chore just to get out of bed each day. Um, and that was his first year in the league. <laughs> You know, Calvin Johnson earned 
every bit of that contract. I understand. I, I agree, Jeremy. I understand that like teams have, you know, they have that right to do that. Um, you know, ma- if the Lions were in a position where they had to recoup that money because their salary cap situation wasn't where they thought it was going to be because, you know, X, Y, or Z, uh, I, that's your guys' fault. That's not that's not Calvin's fault. Um, I'm always going to side with the, the laborer. So and yeah, and I mean, like we're talking 1.6 million. That that right. does not. Free, yeah, it's not like that frees them up to get a Calvin Johnson replacement. <laughs> exactly. It kind of seems like splitting <laughs> hairs, does it not? So. Um, it, it, you know, it, it kind of feels to me, it's always kind of felt like this was a way that Rod Wood could kind of make a statement. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, like if this is going to happen, like this is how we're going to handle things. Decidedly not the way to handle things though, um, with players. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how I feel with it. I mean, it, it, maybe it's trauma from from Barry Sanders and and all the years that he wasn't part of, you know, the organization and everything. But I, you know, just to see it happen again with a with a with another like generational player, frustrating. So yeah, I just side with Calvin on this. Yeah. Uh, anything to add? Yeah, I, I I think the way the contracts are designed now is that most players recognize the fact that the way the contracts are backloaded, that it's very possible they don't see the ends of those contracts, which is why the way they're structured is with a lot of the guaranteed money up front to make sure that the players get paid. And the signing bonuses are typically viewed as like a good faith, uh, you know, uh, financial incentive for the player to sign with the team. And so when you, when you look at like, you know, when you look at how the, from a player's perspective, the player is getting that signing bonus as like a recognition that they're an important asset to the team. Yet they're also signing a contract that has like longer terms in case if they live up to the, if they, you know, live up to expectations. Um, But they also know that, they may only see the first couple of years. And so they're designed to, to try and keep money to try and keep it a balanced playing field because the teams really hold a lot of the leverage when it comes to contracts because of, because of how guarantees are structured, they can cut a player. I mean, we talk about it all the time. They can cut a player in the final year of their contract and really not think anything of it. And we're just, and you know, we are often very, you know, cavalier about it where, and we're like, oh, the cap is only, you know, half a million dollars. He's an easy cut. But, you know, for the from a player's perspective, like that's why they're looking for larger signing bonuses. That's why they're looking for more of that guaranteed up front in order to, to, to get that security. So I do think the the Calvin Johnson's uh, signing bonus was a good faith reward based on like his services for the team. And that was something that that should have been his. And so. The whole situation, though, uh, you know, it does arc back to 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 Barry, you know, when when the, the the rule is in place to protect the owners, because that's really what, you know, the league tries to do, right, to protect the owner's financial investment. Um, but when you look back at Barry, Barry's situation was he retired completely unexpectedly, right? He sent a, a fax to a what Canadian newspaper or something like that, if I recall correctly, right? Like he didn't, that's how he announced his retirement. He just didn't show up. 
Uh, yeah, on the verge of training camp, right? That's, that's right, really right, on the eve. Yeah. yeah. So the team went after his money as because they were mad. Like they said, boy, he messed us up. So we're going to go after him like this. That was very much a petty revenge situation. I think it's a very different situation with Calvin because Rod Wood was brought in and Rod Wood was very business oriented, had no real concept of, of the football side of operations. And when uh, he was given a task of trying to, you know, help clear cap space, this was pre Disner. This was back, you know, this was back when they were counting on like, you know, Quinn to try and be able to handle some of the cap stuff. And so when Rod Wood comes in and he, he looks at this opportunity, he looks at it from a purely business standpoint. He doesn't look at it from marketing, relationship building, football or anything like that. And he says, boy, we have a chance to recoup some money. So then I, um, I've seen, you know, they did the same thing with Barry. I'm going to make this uh, financial decision as, as from a business perspective, pretty much only. And, and, and that's, is what started it. Yes. They, they asked for like only, you know, 10% of what they could have or something like ridiculous like that. Um, and then yes, you know, Calvin has dug in on his heels on, on how that he wants the money and the team has tried to give him his money, but they have to follow NFL rules in order to try and get it back to him. And so they've slowly been working this marriage back together, but like, the whole thing is, I think it's very different from the Barry situation. Um, but at the same time, I totally understand both sides uh, of the story here. I understand Calvin wanted his money and I understand the Lions trying to, to make up for it now. But I, I think the whole decision initially where Rod Wood asked for it was just a big, you know, lack of uh, recognition of what the situation was. Yeah. And and listen, like Calvin clearly still holds a grudge there, right? They, when when talking about this situation, it was interesting. Like Rodwood was asked a little bit about it at the owners' meetings, and he immediately kicked it to Disner. Like he's not even talking about it because it it's going all through Disner. Um, and and when Calvin talks about it, he says like it's been going great with Mike Disner. Um, they have completely kicked Rodwood to the side when it comes to this. And listen, Rodwood is, I think we we deserve to give him a little bit of credit that he's certainly improved from that huge mistake he made, you know, whatever years ago. Um, but it's interesting. Like I, Calvin Johnson was on Pat McAfee yesterday and, and said that the lines are helping out his fun, his foundation. So like, we are really making progress here. And, and, and like you said, like they, they're they're It's tricky for them to be able to circumvent salary cap rules to, to support him in a way that isn't, you know, giving him his money back because you, you can't, you literally can't do that. It is, it's, it's breaking cap rules, but it looks like they've, they've figured something out here. Right. And, and I, the good news is that I like, this is the last year I think that we're ever going to have to re relitigate what happened back there because things are finally in a good place. I think between Calvin and this team. And I think we're going to, I mean, that's, that can be huge for this team. I, I, we talk, we talk a lot about Marvin Jones being a, a good representative for someone like Jameson Williams. How about Calvin Johnson? How about having him in training camp in, in the locker room in, in team meetings every now and then that would be huge for someone like that. I heartily agree, mate. And I thank you guys uh, for touching the subject. And I, I agree. I don't think it has to be brought up. I, I feel we're in a much better place and with Mike Disner. And, and obviously, I guess it, I think you might have mentioned it before, Eric, Mike Disner might, you know, that could his promotion, if ever, you know, whatever. I mean, his part of the future is, is to take Rod's job, isn't it really? But um, 
but <laughs> sorry. But anyway, thanks very much, and I uh, hope you guys yes. and everyone has a great weekend. Cheers. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, more of your Lions questions here on the Spotify Live Dying App. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back here on Spotify Live answering your questions live, like a call-in show. Uh, let's jump right back into it. Uh, Nathan C. is on the line. Nathan, welcome back to the show. How y'all doing? Happy Saturday. Hey, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Always love to have lines talk early in the morning before I start my day. <laughs> That's right. All right, y'all. So we're going to do it. We're going to talk about the backup quarterback. I feel like that's uh, the monkey okay. in, or the elephant in the room that – Everybody wants to talk about, so let's do it. All right. So I think that if we sign Teddy Bridgewater to this deal, I mean, I think it's it's a real possibility because, again, the Lions are all about relations. Everything that they do is because of a relation they had with that person. Gardner Johnson, you know, Kirby probably is recruiting um, Witherspoon or talking to the Lions about Witherspoon a lot. So I think that that um, if we get Bridgewater, my question is, is the Lions' best choice at six to go ahead and trade out a six and try to obtain a draft pick for next year so they can try to go get a quarterback or move up to get a quarterback next year? Um, would that be the best option at six now if Jalen Carter is not available because I just feel like this Lions team has covered almost all their needs and they really could go any way they want to go, any position really they want to go. 
and I'm totally fine with it. I trust the villain to make the right move and to keep building this team. But I, I truly believe that at six, the best option, if Jalen Carter is not available, is to go ahead and trade out of that pick, try to obtain another draft pick next year. So you have, again, two draft picks in the first round, and then go get your guy. What are y'all's thoughts? Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm going to throw this to Eric first, mostly because I, I'm just picturing Ryan squirm uh, because he wants to talk about Teddy Bridgewater. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I, I, I also want to throw this to Eric because I feel like this is a, an idea Eric threw out a while ago is to try to attain a, a, another first-rounder next year so that you can position yourself to, to take a quarterback next year since it just doesn't feel like maybe it's lining up right this year. Um, my question for, for you, Eric, is do you think that's possible? Um, we, we've talked a lot this week about how at six, we might be talking about a second tier of player that blue chip player may not still be on the board there. So obtaining a first round pick might not be as easy as, as it is in a mock draft simulator, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and I got this question in, the, in our written mailbag this week as well. And it's, I've tried to stay pretty, I've tried to say two to my answer uh, across the board here is that if the lions d- determine that they are in that blue chip player level, like that blue chip talent uh, area where they're going to take a guy at six, like they're still in that range, then they absolutely should take that guy because it's very difficult to come across those blue chip players. But, if they do think that there's the blue chip, you know, ends at five, then they should consider moving back uh, because it they don't have their quarterback situation settled until they either extend Jared Goff or, or draft a quarterback. And, and until that quarterback situation is settled long term, I think Brad Holmes needs to have as much uh, draft capital as possible in order to stay flexible. So it really depends on where the cutoff is for what they determine a a blue chip level player. Now, if they don't think a blue chip player level player is there, it is going to decrease the value of the, of the number six pick. So that means you may have to trade further back in order to acquire a number one. Like if, if you're trading back to like 11, because the Titans believe that there's a blue chip guy and you don't, well, then you might be able to get something out of them, you know, but if the Titans are trading up to three, which is, you know, what a lot of the rumors are, the Lions may have to go even further back if they want to get a really high pick next year. And that could mean, you know, getting a lot closer to pick 18, which is, uh, you know, something that is not going to be as appealing for fans to get that, you know, to have that big of a drop, but getting a high pick next year definitely gives them that positional flexibility uh, in the future in order to make a decision on quarterback. If All right, let's, let's talk about quarterback uh, Ryan, because obviously the, the news this morning is that the lions have put a significant, a quote unquote strong offer on Teddy Bridgewater's table and Bridgewater still considering his options. So one, what do you make of that news Two. How does it impact the draft in three? Is this a situation where you think Teddy's just going to wait to see how the draft plays out to see where the quarterback starting jobs are, where the backup jobs are, and then he'll make his decision? Yeah, so I think that point you made there kind of answers question one, so to speak. And Brad Holmes talked about this, right? He talked about this at the the Combine, uh, talking about quarterbacks and – the timeline for signing quarterbacks and how, you know, some of the veterans and, and we haven't really seen that this offseason though. Right. Like, I think that's why a lot of people got concerned with the Nate Sudfeld signing is, 
you know, Brad Holmes says, you know, hey, quarterbacks in uh, free agency, uh, the ones that are on the open market, they're their timeline is they're going to see how teams approach the draft because they want to go to a place where they, you know, can be kind of assured a job, so to speak. Uh, they don't have to like battle with a rookie for a backup position or, you know, with, with a lot of teams only carrying two quarterbacks, if team drafts one, there probably isn't a spot for them. So then, you know, you may sign with the team and then after the draft, they make a decision at quarterback that puts your, um, you know, puts your job in jeopardy. So, I, I think that's why maybe a lot of people and the other comment that Brad Holmes made about, you know, we had three guys. One of them was Nate. The two others signed elsewhere. Um, so we ended up going with Nate. Now, <clears throat> Bridgewater has for a while um, been my kind of ideal choice for a backup quarterback. And, you know, Nate brings up the idea of uh, – you know, he, he talks about relations, right? That 2019 season with New Orleans, if, if you guys can remember, uh, Drew Brees gets hurt in game two um, of that season. The, uh, the excuse me, he gets hurt in the Rams game in week two. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater starts five games that season. Not only does he keep the ship afloat, the Saints go 5-0 and over that stretch. Um Bridgewater throws for 69.7% completion percentage, over 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns, and the most important set, only two interceptions, only two turnovers, uh, never never lost a fumble either. That's the kind of steady hand that you want. And I think Bridgewater is just such a football player. And I think Dan Campbell probably is – he's going to be over the moon um, if Bridgewater is their backup quarterback because – I can't think of a guy who's more of a football player than a guy who literally almost died when he suffered that knee injury um, in, you know, in Minnesota. The guy's still playing football today, you know? Like, it wasn't like he, you know, was a pick, had some money, probably could have walked away from football because, you know, you had such a severe knee, knee injury that it could have cost you your life, but you're still playing football today all these years later. Um I, I mean, that's that's just that's a football player. And, and, you know, Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes, they talk about identifying those guys. And that's why I think he's such a perfect fit in the here and now. He's shown with, you know, he's shown in recent memory, um, in recent history, like how steady of a hand he can be if called upon. Um, I, you know, in, in recent years, he, he's been given too much on his plate. Like, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is a starting quarterback in the NFL anymore. Right. Like. You know, you, you look at some of his past pit stops and, you know, not not great play, but also not on great teams. Um, the Lions are a great team. And, and I think that he's he would be like my ideal in a pinch situation. Backup quarterback for this whole team. Yeah. And, and I think it's important that you point to his his time in New Orleans because Ben Raven of, of MI pulled this quote from from 20, uh, 2021. Uh, Dan Campbell talking about Teddy Bridgewater says, I've got a lot of respect for Teddy Bridgewater because he because I think he's a winner in this league, man. He'll hurt you with play action. He's going to be smart with the football. Like you said, not a lot of turnovers. Um, and, and he'll hurt you in play action pass. Like that is the lion's bread and butter. Like he would, he would fit schematically so well as well. And I, I think the question just becomes like now, okay, you're the lions in this position though. What do you do? Um, because the other quarterback news this week is that they brought in Hendon or they're going to bring in Hendon Hooker for a, a top 30 visit. So do you address this in the draft? Do you, it, it appears, at least on the surface right now, 
that Teddy is probably going to wait until after the draft. Um, it would be the smart move, I think, for him to wait until after the draft. Because who knows? Maybe there's a, a a starting position still available in this league. I, I think I'm with you that I don't think he's necessarily a starter level talent anymore. But maybe, maybe there's an opening, you know, somewhere in in, in Carolina or, or whatever, um, Tennessee. Um, him and Malik can can go battle it out and and tear over Ryan's heart. Um, easy now, Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy, but, you you brought up a good point. Um, yeah, go like, ahead. So if if you're the Lions, you offer Teddy Bridgewater a contract, and he says, "I'm going to wait till to see how the draft shakes out." Like you know, Brad Holmes has been very very clear, like with the David Montgomery situation and the Jamal Williams. Like, lay, we offered you money, you said no. We went and found somebody else. We did. We we're not going to wait for you. Yeah. So if you're the Lions. And they, do, I think they really do like Hendon Hooker. I mean, he's 25 years old, but I mean, I think they see him as kind of like a veteran type of rookie guy, which I think is probably what he is. Do you go ahead and draft that quarterback maybe later in, like you don't take one early, early, but you take one like in the later rounds and still hope you can sign Trady Bridgewater? Or do you say, if we feel like we have a very strong interest in Teddy Bridgewater and he sounds like he's very you know, because the relationships we have with Dan Campbell and all that, that we maybe pause and don't take a quarterback. Because, you know, you could always use that pick for another player that we can add more depth to. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's the question I have now is I feel like they're in this kind of interesting spot. Like if Hendon Hooker is there at 18 no. or maybe towards the end of the first round and you still want him, do you go up and grab him? And and because if you do, I, I think you're you're like you're taking that that deal off the table for Bridgewater, right? There is no way Teddy Bridgewater impacts the Lions' decisions in the draft because they're not going to gamble on it. They're, 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 right. If if Hooker is in the conversation for them, he's in the conversation for them, and that's fine. Bridgewater is a guy that they like, and, and obviously if they're giving him a strong contract, but there is zero chance they make a they, they make a decision in the draft based on whether or not – or based on how that might impact Teddy Bridgewater. No, and that's not what I was intimating, I guess. I, my point is, is here, they they have a backup plan right now, right? Like, if, if, if they're interested in getting a quarterback, whether it's a starter or a backup now, they they don't have to grab now because they, they potentially have Teddy Bridgewater waiting in the wings. Um, I, I, the, yeah, but I think that's always been the plan, right? Like, the, even, even at the Combine, they were talking about this, right? Like, sure. the, like, I think this has always been part of the layered plan to address the position. Like, it, it would be surprising if Brad Holmes did not have a backup plan. You know what I mean? Right? Like, he's... Right, he's, right. especially after everything he right. said. Exactly. So, th- this is... It's, it's nice to hear. It's not... Yeah, I, I, the, the one last thing I want to add is like, hey, just do some of the math here. Like the reason why we're hearing about Teddy Bridgewater having a strong contract offer and not signing. I mean, it's, I mean, it, I don't think it takes much of, you know, much of a genius to see that the Lions don't want to tip their hand at six. I mean, if you, if you, if you sign Teddy Bridgewater and have a backup quarterback, then hey, maybe quarterbacks off the table for the Lions at six and you no longer have to think about jumping them. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's pretty easy to see. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a, it's another. I, who knows if the Lions are the one that, that leaked this or, or whether it was Teddy's camp. But either way, it's it's an interesting from an outsider's perspective. Okay, what does this mean about the Lions? Does that mean they they want to add a highly talented quarterback? Does it mean that they have one waiting in the wings so they're not going to take one? It's just it's another kind of 
cloud, you know, covering up their their uh, their true intentions here. And, and like Eric said, like, I don't think this impacts what they're going to do. It just allows them a little bit more leeway. And we'll options are good. Options uh, are Nathan, good. Op- options are always good. Nathan, appreciate the question. Yeah, buddy. thanks, y'all. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Uh, all right. Next on the show, we got Andy. Thank you for waiting, Andy. How's it going, buddy? Okay. I'm sorry. This is my first time on no this. <laughs> so. <laughs> no worries. Appreciate you stopping by. You picked a great hey, time sure. to join. Hey, uh, let's, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been listening <laughs> to you guys for years, and I, I really appreciate you. I live in Alabama. I was born in Detroit, so, um, you know, getting the scoop from you guys has been really great on the Lions. And um, I want to talk a little bit about the draft. And um, I understand, like I said, I listen to you guys. I understand about positional value. I understand about you draft for far-term needs, right, and free agencies for near-term stuff. I understand all that. But let me give you two um, uh, ways I think the draft could go up front. And um, the first is I don't think Jalen Carter is going to make it to Detroit. And um, I'll preface that by saying I'm not concerned at all about the illegal stuff. I think that's all, you know, been taken care of. I think he's really kind of like a big kid. I think he's kind of immature but wonderful talent. What I think could happen is that um, we think quarterbacks going one, two, that leaves Arizona. I think Arizona is really, they could trade back to uh, Vegas, right. And still get a good player. I think they could trade back to Tennessee and Tennessee is about to open up a new stadium, right. So they would want a quarterback, you know, franchise guy. Um, so I can see that happening. So I can see quarterbacks going one, two, three. And at four, I think we all know Indianapolis is going to want a quarterback. And whether that's uh, Will Levis or Hendon Hooker, um, I think one of those is going to go to uh, Indy. And then that leaves Jalen Carter at five with Seattle. And the way I see it is that if Jalen Carter passes the Lions sniff test, he's certainly going to pass Seattle's. And, um, and I think Seattle will either take him if he doesn't pass the sniff test, I could see a team like uh, Atlanta because of the Georgia connection or Philadelphia because Philadelphia has both Jordan Davis and Kobe Dean, his former teammates, and as well as Fletcher Cox on that D-line. I think they could get the most out of Jordan Davis. And so I think one of those teams would trade up with, with Seattle and take them. And uh, I think in that scenario, you know, for the second year in a row, you've got the best edge rusher falling into the Detroit slap. So I think that that's the way it's probably going to go. If I'm wrong and and uh, the Cardinals stay there and take Will Anderson, I think that the Lions would take Skaronsky of, of uh, Northwestern. The reason I think that is, um, uh, number one, you know, Brad Holmes has been preparing us by saying his time in, in St. Louis, you're right, they kept drafting defensive linemen and making that a strength and making it a super strength for them. I think he may be preparing us for that. The second thing it does is it strengthens the Lions negotiating position with Jonah Jackson um, by having a guy that can slip in there. It also provides uh, near-term and long-term positional value. He could either play guard or he could play in the Matt Nelson role as a sixth offensive lineman. Now, if they move um, Skaronsky to guard, they could use Vitae in that six offensive lineman position because we all know he played uh, tackle in the, in the Super Bowl for Philadelphia, right? So he's got that capability. So I think that would just add so much um, to the offense. Uh, and if you, if you compare that with what uh, Tyree Wilson would bring, right, he'd just be another guy in the rotation on the D-line 
Devin Witherspoon, you know, he, he's he's good and he's a dog and everything, but you can get cornerbacks elsewhere in the draft and he'd be just a rotational guy right now. So those are my thoughts on on, on how the draft up front should go. Um, I want to hear what you guys think of that. Sure. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk first about Will Anderson. Um, Cause I think that's that it's certainly a way that the, the draft could fall four quarterbacks in a row. doesn't happen very often, but it's, it's certainly a possibility. Um, so, and, and the lines brought in Will Anderson for a visit, right. Or they're going to, I'm not sure where on the timeline that is. I think it, it is coming. So I, I want to throw it to you first, Eric, do you think that's a legitimate possibility that if the lines just stay put there at six, Will Anderson could realistically be there? I think it's slim but I do think it could happen like as crazy as it is because, and I think the Lions think it would happen or they wouldn't brought him in. Right. Like there, there's only two reasons to bring Anderson in. And that's one, you think he might fall to six or two, you're considering trading up to get him. Right. Other than that, you're not going to waste one of your 30 uh, spots on him. So, you know, the quarterback is such an enigma to the NFL because like they the how to approach the quarter drafting quarterbacks and, and who goes where it, it's just, it's such a mystery on a, on a year to year basis because you could very easily see someone trade up to three to take a, a quarterback and then Indy just being content to take their guy because uh, you know, Israel is a wild card as their owner. So yeah, I, so it's, it is possible. And, and, and then when it comes to Seattle, What's Seattle going to do if they do take Carter because they're, they're cool with his issues. Yeah. Then all of a sudden Anderson's there. Right. And, and the lions get the best, you know, one of the top two players in the, on defense for, for two years in a row. And so it's realistic. Even if that is a very, very small, you know, chance of realism, I guess. So maybe not realistic as much as it could happen even though I think there's kind of a, it's, it's a small percentage, but it's, it's not out of the realm. I, I think the, the biggest issue I have with it is Indy, like you're right. Indy has an erratic owner, but would he sit there and just eventually settle for QB four in this draft? Here's the thing. He may not think like we'll leave this as QB four. He may look at him all rocked up and be like, Oh man, I'm going to start putting mayo in my coffee. <laughs> Right. And so is I mean, Israel is 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 a complete wild card and he yeah. has his hands in everything when it comes to the Colts. Yeah. And so I sure. I'm not I expect Stroud and Young to go one two and whatever order you want them to go. And then um I I think Johnson's a, a Richardson is a is a uh unique enough talent that someone would trade up for him. And I could just, I could see Israel being, you know, all in on you know, investing in, uh, you know, cases of Mayo. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Ryan, if, if you want to throw your hat into, into the Will Anderson uh, ring, you can, but I am interested also in your thoughts on, on Skaronsky as being a potential choice there at six. We've talked about it a little bit, but uh, I'm not sure where you stand on it. Yeah. It, I don't know. It, it feels like the sweet spot for an offensive lineman is at 18. Um, especially with, you know, the, the potential value of, of adding a guy like Darnell Wright. Um, I know Eric and I are big fans of him. Um, we talked about Darnell Wright a little bit on our podcast with Brett Whitefield, but we also talked about Skronsky. Um, seems like maybe it could be just a bit rich. Um, seems like it could be a bit rich at that point, but we, uh, I, don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see with that. The, the one thing I do want to mention though um, is the Seahawks. Um, and when it comes to Jalen Carter, uh, they 
they handed out the Seahawks did they handed out the largest contract that they've ever given to a outside free agent, like an external free agent in the history of their franchise. Um, when they signed Draymond Jones, um, who's a interior defensive lineman, formerly of the Broncos, they gave him a three year, $51 million contract. Um, now I'm not sure how that necessarily plays into the calculus of does Jalen Carter, um, fit, or does it just seem like, Hey, we're putting a plethora of resources into just this one position. Um, so that's an interesting thing to consider. I think when it comes to how the Seahawks kind of view it, like, are they going to just take the best player available? Um, or are they going to try to try to fit a need? Um, I don't exactly know um, their their needs right now, but I do think that's something to consider with, with just how the board will fall. And, and I think that kind of plays into the Will Anderson calculus too. I, I have to think that with all the smoke there is about Arizona trading out of three, that eventually there will be fire. But I think, I think that doesn't happen until draft day, right? Like I think that we, I think maybe we can all agree that the teams want to see Stroud and Young come off the board, even though that there's this expectation that, they're going to go one, two, no matter how they go. If somebody throws a curveball and, you know, Richardson goes two or Richardson goes one or whatever. Right. Um, I think they just want to know who that guy at three is going to be. And I feel like a deal will be made. So that that's, that's your path to maybe having one of those two defensive linemen. Cause at that point, you're, you're probably going to have a pretty good shot at getting either Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. Yeah. I I still I still feel like we're we're kind of like reverse engineering ways to to get Will Anderson to Detroit, but it, it's certainly not out of the question. Quarterbacks are the ultimate equalizer, but I think I think last year might show us that that teams might have started to wise up to maybe not force the quarterback decision in, unless you absolutely have to. Sure, um, because what we we had one go in the first round and only. One go in the first two rounds, I think it was right. And uh, either way, um, I think I think we're eager to slot to quarterback quarterbacks to teams maybe a little bit more than they're eager to do it because it it's a huge decision, right? It's a, a decision that can make or break your entire general manager uh, career. Um, but but I do want to I do want to get to Skaronsky a little bit more because I, I think Andy brought up a lot of good points of, of what his first year role can be. He can be that six offensive linemen or they, they can make Vitae be that six offensive lineman. It's something that they like to do a lot, do more than most teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it depends. It depends what the Lions think of their, their future in, in a guy like um, Taylor Decker, if, if they have a, a long-term plan at offensive tackle, um, if, if, the, if he's a guard, you know, the, if the, the arm length is a, a big enough deal where you think this is a long-term guard, then you have to talk about positional value. Um, the six overall pick for a guard is not something you typically see in the NFL. And so I think that – I know that's, like, the biggest sticking point for you, Eric, right? Yeah, like, that – I do think he's probably a a guard. He's going to be a guard on my board. Uh, my, because my board's lines based, right? So I, I do think he could be in that conversation. But I think the same argument that you can make uh, for Skronowski, you can make for Darnell Wright at 18. Like like Ryan said, you could make for maybe Paris Johnson if he happens to slide to 18. Um, and then there's a couple other guys as well that that you could find that that nice marriage. The difference is, is I, I, I think Skronowski is the most talented offensive lineman um, in this class. And so he does fit that need. 
the question just becomes is are, are you spending the right amount of capital or are using the, that high of amount of capital on a guard? Is that the best use? Right. And so typically you find that guards, uh, you know, for at least you know, guards taken in the first round tend to go into that 15, 16, 17 range, like 18 range. And so um, that's why I tend to lean towards, them looking at a guy like Darnell Wright as opposed to taking a Skarnowski early at six. Let me let me just say that um, you know, to me Darnell Wright, I, mean, I love the guy, but he's a right guard, right tackle. You yep. know, I think Skarnowski can play all across the line. And you know, last year we had a question about whether Aiden Hutchinson's arms are too short, right? So I wouldn't put Skarnowski in a box. Um, and, uh, and and his no, positional I, value across I, I the think, line, I think, and maybe he can even play center. I'm not really sure, but and, and I don't think that um, I I made the point about also giving them more leverage in negotiating with Jonah Jackson. I don't think it's going to be an issue, but they have another option here of having a left guard, as you know, where you we couldn't do that with Darnell Wright. No, but I don't think you need. I don't think you necessarily need to. So to me, paying the extra cost to go from like an eight, uh, pick eighteen to pick six isn't worth the extra leverage. I mean, you 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 definitely would be getting a better player uh, in in Skarnowski. Uh, I do think he's the top offensive lineman in this class, and yes, he is more position flexible. But I don't. I don't think it really matters too much because of the fact that like you could the way the Lions draft guards is they make them interchangeable. And while, you know, right does look like he, his experiences at right tackle and, and, and left tackle and right guard, he's played on that left side before. So he's, he's got some, you know, muscle memory on, you know, dropping to his left as opposed to dropping just to his right all the time. So I, I do think there's options is what, is what I'm getting at. I like the concept and I'm all on board of taking in an offensive lineman, um, my just preferred preference when we're talking when you talk about positional versatility is that I see better value taking a, a guard at, at you know a, a, even if it's a guard tackle at, at eighteen or you know maybe forty eight as opposed to uh, six. All right. Okay. Well, you got, let me just let me just throw out one cool. one silly half half serious question. We were talking we were talking okay. about um, Calvin Johnson earlier, right? And owing him one point six million, whatever. All right, so let's say the Lions win the NFC Championship next year and go into the Super Bowl. So, what would you think about signing Calvin Johnson to play maybe a dozen snaps in the Super Bowl for one point six million? <laughs> uh, I, I, it wouldn't work that way, unfortunately, uh, because they would have to, if the, if he were to come out of retirement, he'd have to, uh, take on the, the contract that he, that he had previously signed. He basically picks up from where he left off, but it's a, it's a fun idea. <laughs> um, it, he'd be there though. Right. And at this point, I think the relationships are good enough that he'd be in the building. So maybe, maybe just sneak him on the field somehow. Um, but appreciate the question, Sandy. Um, let's move on to our next caller here. Uh, we got, let's see, Philip. All right. So I've got a question. It's not about the draft. Um, with the loss of my sweet baby boy, Jamal Williams, the Lions also lost the fun internet show, Jamal That. So we got this right. glaring void for a new internet show. What do you guys think would be the best show? Who uh, do you think would be the best player to be featured? My idea 
is to do Long Snapper Watch 2023, Snap Attack is Back Jack, Colin the Snappening, McQuaid versus Daly, with the mules, the host with the most, subjecting the youngsters. I know they're not young, but he keep calling them youngsters or kids, stuff like that. Um, subjecting them to various snap-related challenges and feats of strength. What do you guys think about that, and what do you guys think would be a better show than my awesome idea? I mean, that is a phenomenal idea. We, we've we been a little bit spoiled, right? We, it started with, with TJ, what, talking with TJ. We, we got a little bit of uh, of all that, or Jamal that. Um, in, in 2021, he didn't even do it in 2022. Um, I would poke a hole in... The, the only thing, the downfall to your idea is that uh, Don Muehlbach would have no interest in it. He is a guy that does not like being talked to. <laughs> with the, he doesn't like talking with the media. He's a very uh, private person. Um, so I think, I think we got to help out here. I think we have to come up with a, a different uh, face of our, our Lions interview Fair enough. show. Um, so so which, which one of you has, has an idea? Who's, who's a personality you think might do well? in front of a, an internet show here. Eric Mine's not great. Go. My, my, oh, look, okay. Uh, good, good Phil, pitch so Phil, far. <laughs> Philip, <laughs> Philip had some, had some big, big bopper vibes going on with that, uh, with that <laughs> pitch. That was awesome. Um, my, my pitch is um, uh, sitting with Sutton, which is because you've, you've re-signed Cameron or you've signed Cameron Sutton to a long-term deal. He's going to be part of your investment. You don't have to cancel the show for the uh, next couple of seasons. So, uh, sitting with Sutton and uh, you have Cameron Sutton, you know, uh, you know, get to know his teammates or, or something. It's not as exciting. I told you that, but that's about that, as clever as I can get. On this. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the alliteration. I think, I think it would be like a very, like I picture it in a, in a library with a lot of like red velour, like a very dignified show because that's who I just kind of <laughs> he, view as Cameron Sutton a- as. He's a very smart person. Like, yeah, like, that's what it, I'm saying. It would, it would definitely be, yeah, you're sitting on a chair with a pipe and a book. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Green, I, I, I may have green-lighted that one, but you, you're going to have to elevator pitch me a different idea. Oh, I got a great idea. Okay. All right. Fishing with Frank. All right. Okay. Frank can have guests on. Do you know the little um, the toy magnet fishes? <laughs> you yeah. know that yeah yes. okay so yep each one of it's got each, like a little rotating circle thing yes okay so he has a guest on they go fishing and each of those fish correspond to a question so like <laughs> when you pull a fish out there's a question for you frank's gonna facilitate it just by fishing with frank wow i i i don't think there's i don't think i'm gonna be able to come up with a better idea quite honestly like i think maybe hopefully one of the guys in the in the lines media department is listening right now and and we'll give you game, credit. Gaming with Glasgow. Gaming with Glasgow. <laughs> I, I absolutely would have gone with Glasgow until his last press conference. <laughs> you got too nervous. Well, you know, I love Graham. Gi- gigantic giggling. Gigantic. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel like there has. Listen, I, I've actually put it up to the lines. Like, I want to do a, a gaming stream with with Graham, with CJ, and with Aiden, who is now, like, a a fantastic Twitch streamer playing uh, Rocket League. Um, so I, maybe there's something there, too, but but I kind of, I mean, Frank Ragnow and the fishing thing is, I, 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 know, I know he's got his own YouTube channel. I know he's got his own, um, 
you know, promotion and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But I feel like the Lions need to dig a little deeper there and, and create some native content there. I like these. I think if we do sitting with Sutton, that if he's meeting his new teammates, it should just be a thing where he just meets his former UT teammates and acts like it's for the first time. Uh, just sits with Germ <laughs> for the first time, you know, Moses yeah. for the first time. I, th- I think that would be good. And, like, they introduce themselves. I love it. I love it. Uh, all right. Appreciate the the uh, the creative question there. Do you have something to add, Eric, really quick? Before? Yeah, waking up with the sun god. Like, that's a good. You know, oh, that's good. Oh, okay. Just a, a camera on his bedroom and he wakes up and then it's like 30 seconds and over. I mean, he. Could, I mean, it doesn't have to be literally in his bedroom. I mean, there, there could be some privacy <laughs> issues, but like, we, can, we can go a lot of different ways with that. I, we're, just starting to get, we're getting started. Yeah. My my only two notes are one, it has to feature a lot of John Brown, and two, how much good footage are you going to get in between him on the jugs machine? I feel like ninety percent of the show, ninety percent of his life is just spent in front of a jugs machine. What what if his what if his guests that he brings on like have to catch balls from the jugs machine from like various <laughs> positions? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean that that would be entertaining. All right. We're, we're workshopping. By the way, all of this is copyrighted, so anyone listening cannot develop this without our legal... Uh... Express written consent. Exactly. <laughs> all right, Phil, appreciate, uh, appreciate the different question there. I like, I like keeping us on our toes like that. Thanks, guys. All right, uh, let's go next to Jacob. Thanks for waiting. Jacob, how you doing? Not bad, y'all. Uh, appreciate, as always, the time in the mornings here. Um, I wanted to ask, so I am, I'm going to suck up a little bit to Jeremy here. I, I am also officially yes. no Bijan Robinson in the first round. Um, so I am firmly in that camp. Um, Dan Pask and I might have to sort of battle over that one later. But um, <laughs> so y'all uh, in a mailback, I think just this past week, started talking a little bit about some later round running back targets. But I think I'm especially curious, do you all think that the the type of running back that's needed is kind of a long-term swift replacement? You know, knowing that Montgomery will be here for a few years, kind of a speed back, a pass catcher, is that the type of running back that you're hoping for, um, assuming the Lions draft one? And if so, again, would love maybe just some some later later round names that, that fit the bill. I'm especially curious about the Keaton Mitchell um, top thirty visit. Um, if if he if he could truly be kind of a, an RB two, or if that's more of a, a gadget or role player. Good question, Jacob. Because I think I think this deserves to be part of the Bijan debate, right? Is I, I do think this is a decent running back class. So if you can get you know quote unquote better value uh, over a running back, maybe that you'll get just as much or similar production in round three or four. Um, instead of spending 18 on, on Bijan, you do that, obviously. So, um, but, but you also bring up a good question as, as to what are they looking for? Um, are they looking for someone that can do it all? Are they looking for someone that can give you a lot of stuff that David Montgomery does just at a younger and cheaper value and for longer? Or are they looking for a swift replacement? So a lot, a lot of good kind of questions in there. I'll throw it to you first, Eric. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it, this screams swift replacement to me because he's so oft injured he's in the final year of his rookie deal and so it, it makes a ton of sense to me to try and find the lightning to uh, montgomery's thunder right and i it's been very quiet as far as like 
who they've talked to. Uh, we haven't got really any reports outside of uh, Keaton Mitchell. But um, so to, to give you a perspective on Keaton Mitchell, Jacob, I, I think Keaton Mitchell is kind of like De- Devin A-Chain light, right? Like he's, he's basically like the same type of player. He's just not, he's got that explosion. He's got that um, versatility. He's got a lot of the, uh, he's got both speed and quickness. There's, there's a lot to like about him. The, the issue is, is that he's not as productive in between the tackles like A-Chain is. He's not as reliable as like a guy who could be an RB one. If something, if, if Montgomery is dealing with an injury or something. So I do view Mitchell more as like a third down complimentary type back, as opposed to like part of a, a you know, a, a staple in a, in an RB rotation. So um, Robinson's at the top of my list. Gibbs is, is number two, Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. A chain's my number three. Tajay Spears is my number four. And then, um, and then it gets a little bit quirky because I think like Charbonnet and Bigsby are closer to like Montgomery. Uh, and then I like my, my, like the guy who was my sleeper was uh, Israel, Israel Abadakanda from Pittsburgh. And then he goes and runs like a four two six, and he's no longer a sleeper again. So my top five, you know, are kind of in that, in that group there. And then if you start looking on today three, you have a few options, including Mitchell, uh, Eric Gray. Uh, it seems like a, a guy you could get in the later rounds who has DeAndre Swift-like skills. Um, even a guy like uh, Sean Tucker from Syracuse is, is a later round guy. I think those are ones to keep to keep tabs on. Uh, maybe even Chase Brown out of Illinois. He's not exactly like the the quicker than fast type of guy, but he's he's there's durability. Um, that I think you could you could find in him, but once you get into these like later round guys, they're more complementary pieces as opposed to, you know, guys that you want as part of your like staple rotation. Ryan, any uh, any running backs not named Bijan that that kind of catch your eye? Maybe in that Swift role, if that's what you think they're also looking for. Um, yeah, I I agree with Eric in the sense that you know maybe they do replace. Swift with a running back of a similar skill set in this draft, right? Um, the only thing I'll say though is I think that this regime has a type. Um, you look at, you know, bringing Jamal in in free agency and then, you know, moving on to a guy with a similar skill set um, in, in David Montgomery um, in terms of like that big plodding back who, um, who plays, you know, tough between the tackles. I, the, the guy I like is Roshan Johnson. Um, I know we had our discussion with Brett Whitefield, especially the one thing that definitely caught my attention, right? Is that like his freshman year at Texas, he plays quarterback um, and he makes that transition from quarterback to running back. And the other appealing thing about him. So like Bijan, right. In his, um, in his three seasons at Texas, he, you know, had, you know, roughly about 600 touches in, in just three seasons. Um you know, there isn't a lot of, there isn't a lot of wear and tear on Roshan Johnson yet. Um, you know, in, in his four seasons, um, only about 450 touches, uh, in, in his time in college. So, uh, just with, with, I, I think, you know, trying to get the most out of a guy, um, you, you look at kind of the, the wear and tear that they did, uh, endure in college and, and with, with Roshan, especially like, it seems like just a perfect fit because a lot of people talk about his four 
you know, four phase special teams value. Um, I mean, that's a guy who can instantly come in and be a, a, a contributor um, in, you know, maybe not the, the ways that you might expect a running back to, but also the Lions don't have that need immediately. So I really like Roshan Johnson. I know that he's kind of viewed as being a day three guy, um, but I, would it shock me if maybe he goes 81? May, not, not necessarily. All right. I think we, we, we touched on a bunch of guys there. Uh, appreciate the question, Jacob. Yeah, thanks, y'all. All right. Uh, let's take a second break here when we come back. More of your Lions questions as we get closer and closer and closer to the 2023 NFL Draft. We will be right back. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Closing things up here on the Spotify live app where we take your lines questions live. Uh, One of the cool parts about this awesome dying app is that there's also a live chat where you can text in questions. That's where we'll start with this final segment. Uh, Dan asks, uh, I'm sorry, David asks, uh, is it possible that the lions go back to back defensive tackles in the first round? Um, Obviously I think this would include probably going Jalen Carter with six, but then maybe doubling up at 18 with another one of those guys. Um, I think we all agree that's probably the biggest need. So, Ryan, would you be down with the Lions doing something like this? Um, I don't know. Would you? I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Oh, uh, yeah. Uno. I mean, l- reverse. Yeah. Listen, I I have been crossing my fingers every night, hoping that Jalen Carter passes whatever character test that the Lions have, because I I do think that is maybe no, like. It might be he might be number one on my board for the Lions. I, I think it's just too perfect of a fit, too perfect of what they need. And so to do that, great. Like you filled your biggest need, and now the rest of the draft, you can do whatever the hell you want. If you want to get another nose tackle, great. Go ahead and do it. That's fine. I'm cool with it. The the guy has to be right there. So I mean, at, at this point, I would probably take Kalaja Kansi off the board. I don't think that would make a lot of sense at 18, but per se, maybe, and and we were talking to to Brett Whitefield, he says he think he's pretty sure Mozzie Smith is going to be a first round pick. So maybe a lot of people would probably view it as a reach at the time. Maybe Mozzie is a guy that you target at eighteen. Again, it, it depends a lot on who's available and what other positions are are you know who's fallen to where, and maybe there's a, a better value pick there. But on the surface, no, I don't think I'm against this. I'm against it. Um, <laughs> um, just just because you have to think about the usage uh, of what's going to happen with them. Like the, they use NASCAR a lot because, and that's why they have so many edge rushers. They have, a, they have a fixture in a McNeil as one of the starters. 
And if you draft, let's say Carter, who I think is the only one that you're considering at six, um, you still have the you still have Isaiah Bugs sitting there, and you can have a three person rotation. And if you're worried about injury, that's why you're holding on to Benito Jones. Um, I don't see taking another uh, another three technique. I guess is really what you'd need because you would have a lean who can play both. And then you'd have bugs and Benita who are both nose tackles. I think if, once you get Carter, you're, you're going to be a lot happier. And I, I do think by shifting a lean, you, it, it all, by drafting Carter, it almost takes nose tackle off the board for me um, because you're, you're going to be stacked at that nose tackle. And you might, and you could argue that you could add more depth at the three technique, but I wouldn't use that pick 18 to add that depth i would use uh that pick 18 in other fashions and then i would consider taking maybe if you wanted to double dip in the draft i'd be okay with that just not in the first round okay that's fair i i I think i'm i'm i understand where you're coming from and obviously having aleem allows you to have three tech depth because he can do both right i i guess my my overall point though is just like Bugs is, is a is a great locker room guy, but not a long term solution at, at, at nose. And I, I feel like if you draft Jalen Carter, it's not like, okay, Aleem's your your nose and he's never gonna move from that, right? They're they're going to move him all along. And so I right. And so I think there are gonna be some, yeah, they'd some have packages to. where you, you want a little bit more girth out there, which again, like nose tackle at eighteen is not great value. I I, I can definitely uh admit that. Um but I, I don't. I don't think it would take nose completely out of the conversation for me if they went Jalen Carter. I, I just. I, I guess that's the other side of my um, of the coin here for me is that I also don't know if I like the value at eighteen. Period. Yeah. Much less. Yes, yeah, if they took Carter. So. Sure. All right. Let's go back to the phones here. Uh, we've got Ryan F on the line. Ryan, appreciate you waiting. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So my, my whole thing is, you know, around this time, this is where in the past I usually get excited, you know, Oh, we went three and 13. Like we have the number three pick, like who are we going to take to start this rebuild? But now it just, it kind of feels different, you know, feels different. This is for like the first time I think since honestly, when we hired Caldwell, I was really excited about that. But since then, like I just, it just, it's another level of excitement And it just feels like we're going to do something special. But at the same time, like, how do we balance those expectations realistically? Because, you know, we don't want to say, you know, same old lines. We don't want to say it. But at the same time, you look at week 16. I fully thought we were going to the playoffs. I thought we were going to smack the Panthers. And we come out and get ran all over. So how do we realistically, like, say, like, this is going to be it. This is going to be different. This is not going to be the same team that we usually see. Instead, we're going to see these uh, brand new. Yeah, I, I listen. I feel like every now and then we get one of these calls, and and it really Eric Eric knows it. It resonates with me because there is like this this fear of the other shoe dropping. And so, are we? You know, getting like you said, getting excited this time of year always happens every single year. Um, so how is this year different? Why wh- are we are we staying realistic in our expectations for twenty twenty three and beyond? Um, and it, it's a fair question to ask. I. 
I think there are plenty of signs that, that it truly is different this year, but I, I want to get one of your guys' thoughts first. So, um, Ryan, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. What, what are your thoughts of this, like, apprehension of, of expectations this year? Yeah, this thought of, like, kind of getting out ahead of our skis, right? Um, it, it, it's different. Um, I don't want to keep on banging the drum, bringing up the, the Dan Miller quote, right? Um, that I, I feel like is just so perfect at every impasse, right? Like anytime that I'm feeling nervous or I'm getting sweaty, uh, or I think that like my tummy is too full of Kool-Aid, I, I go back to that quote for, it's like my security blanket, Jeremy. <laughs> um, and it always reminds me that like my feelings are valid. Um, and, you know, I here's the thing. I think that when you look at the Lions season from a macro level last year, uh, the thing that really hindered them was their play on defense, right? Like, yes, they made the improvement over the second half of the season and the, the improvement was made because their defense got better. They went out this off season and in free agency addressed the, the needs that they had in their defensive backfield in a way that, Again, you're, you're, you are, um, you're John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, right? Like you're kind of like looking around the room, like where are the needs? Like what else do they need to do? And you you might get yourself, you know, caught up in, in, in just that feeling of, you know, especially with this draft and how many draft picks they have, um, you know, those five picks in the top 81 and, and picking at six and 18, like it's just such a big piece to the puzzle. And I think it will be so illustrative and will be so illuminating of the Lions and their trajectory based on what Brad Holmes and, and Dan Campbell, what they want to do with these draft picks. Like, are, are they going to maneuver around? Are they going to, you know, signal to, to you know, the rest of the league and, and, and their fan base that, hey, we are going to go best player available and we are building this thing for not just this flash in the pan one year, right? And I, I think maybe that's where some of the trepidation lies too, right? Is that people are concerned that may, maybe this is just like a, a, a one-year thing that we can that we can hold on to. I assure you that Brad and Dan, though, that they are not, they are not thinking that way. Um, you know, this, this, is, this is an incredible opportunity for those guys to – to, to stamp their resume with something that like very few GMs and head coaches can do just based on Detroit's history. You know, they can, they can build themselves statues, right? Like if they get this thing turned around and they, they turn this franchise into a model of consistency and stability that we have never been, we've, we've, we've never experienced before. Um, so again, it, it's just, it's those, those feelings are valid, right? I mean, you, you, you've you've experienced so much trauma as a Lions fan that I, I understand where you're coming from, but you know to take it from a different pr- perspective of Jeremy saying you know waiting for that other shoe to drop, um, maybe that other shoe to drop is a good thing, right? And sure. and, and and that's just that's just where I'm at. Like you know I'm I'm reveling in this. I'm enjoying it. I I, I think that's the best space to be in with it right now. Well, how about how about seventy years of losing? How about we wait for that other shoe to drop? Like maybe right. it is finally our time. Right. Um, exactly. The the only thing, and, and I think we've talked about this on a previous podcast, is like the only thing that really has me concerned, or you know, reasons why this hype might might not actually manifest itself this season is 
one, the thing that could derail any season, which is injuries. And two, like, I, I think you brought this up, Ryan, there, there might be a little bit of a concern for offensive regression, right? They, they haven't lost any pieces. In fact, you, you could argue with Jameson, they're, they're, they're going to get stronger there and, and, and David Montgomery, but is Jared Goff mm-hmm. going to play as well as he did toward the end of last season? Is, you know, is it, is there a chance that maybe Ben Johnson has a sophomore slump as in year two as, as offensive coordinator? Well, people have figured out Ben Johnson. Those are questions we have to answer. I don't feel like that's going to happen, but it's something like you, you have to actually go out and see yeah. it. So I guess if, if you're looking for reasons to be anxious or to pull back expectations, that's where I would look. But again, everything is, is lining up in a very good way right now that I, I think it's okay to just be like, maybe this is real. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can, we can actually believe in ourselves and, and not just feel like it's off season Kool-Aid. Yeah. You, you have that t-shirt in your closet, Jeremy, of the Jim Bob Cooter van. You know what I mean? Like the, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's totally, it's totally entirely possible that, <laughs> that Ben Johnson has some kind of, you know, uh, regression in his, you know, second full year of, of play calling and, and things like that. But like, man, like I like, don't, don't talk yourself into there being a problem when things could have really gone sideways. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think we talk about it enough. Like the lion's biggest, I don't I, You can't even really call it move, but like keeping Ben Johnson here was the most important thing that the lions did this off season. Yeah. And, and, and with that in place, I feel the most comfortable. Yeah. All right. Now that I, I wet blanketed a little bit there, Eric, why don't you come in with your, your sunshine and dry us all off? I have opened up the Kool-Aid tap and broken off the handle because that thing is not shutting yeah, baby. off. Like that is where I am at. I there a flip switched in me uh, last season that I everything that I saw tells me that they're they're they are set up to overcome any of these things that you guys are worried about. You're worried about regression. Well, they have deep areas in in, in other skill sets. If if you have you have some more interceptions. Cool. The defense is getting better. The offensive skill players can also still be sharp. All of these concerns that we have are concerns that almost every team has. And I think it's totally natural to have those concerns, but at the same time to go into green Bay and to make that, to flip that switch and to be able to, to walk out of there, it was a complete changing of the guard for me. And like, I felt confident going into that game. I feel even more confident after what they did and, and following through on it. I have completely opened here. I, I I don't have these concerns over regression. I know that there's going to be obstacles. I'm I'm realistic enough to know that. But like at the same time, I think that this team is built to overcome it. So yeah, are there causes for concerns? Sure. Every team has causes for concerns. At the same time, I there's there's not anything that this team has done in in recent history that has told me that they're gonna be trending in, in a backwards direction anytime soon. So you know what? Back up the Kool-Aid truck. Come over to my house. I'll load you up. I got plenty of Kool-Aid to pass around because I am not in. Uh, I can overcome all the wet blankets you got. It does not matter to me. I am sold on this team moving in a positive direction. There you go. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to rain on his parade. Um, <laughs> but hopefully that that made you feel a little bit better, Ryan. Uh, appreciate the question. Of course, of course. Um, let's, yeah, uh, let's close things out here with uh, Dwayne. Appreciate you waiting, Dwayne. Welcome to the show. Oh, there we go. I'm sorry about did. that. Hey, how's it going, guys? No worries. Good. How are you? 
uh, living the dream. Um, what do you call it? I just have two questions. It'll be quick. I know there's other people that want to talk. Um, the first question I've been listening to, I read your posts. Um, I listen to the guys on 97.1, and I've just been dying to know what the heck happened to Levi Anzarike. It looks like he's been in like witness protection for two years. And the reason why I ask this question is because with all of the great moves that they've done this offseason, the one thing that I'm a little puzzled with is the lack of adding any kind of like depth to the uh, interior tackles. Because to me, it was the Carolina and the Seattle games that kept us out of the playoffs. Um, is that an indication that Anzarike is coming back? Do you have any information or are, are they quietly moving on? And then my second question is about the second high second round pick in Josh Pascal. What is he? Because to me, we have a glut of situational pass rushers with uh, Harris and the Okwara brothers and... Um, what do you call it? Houston and Kaminsky. And then there's Pascal. And it's like, if you're talking about getting a, another D tackle high in this draft, which I totally agree we need, cause I'm tired of watching us getting run all over. Then what does Pascal do? Is he also a D tackle? Is he another situational uh, pass rusher? So those are my two burning questions, but the Anzarike one is the one that I'm just dying to know. Cause I've, I've heard like nothing about. It. So, yeah. Yeah, and I th- I think a lot of people are in the same boat as you. We're, we're kind of waiting to to see if if this guy's career is ever going to take off, and we kind of get keep getting half answers from the front office. I think the latest was, was from Brad Holmes at the owners' meetings. Um, it was either him or him or Dan Campbell has just been saying, yeah, like, oh yeah, I just you know I just saw him at the facility the other day. We're we're, we're seeing how it's going to go along, and we'll act accordingly. Like just a very non-answer. The the only information I guess we really have there is that he's he is still rehabbing at the facility. So. I, I guess you could view that as a positive, but they certainly didn't give a positive update like they did with, with Vitae, right? They said they straight up said like Vitae's in a good place. They expect him to play this year. We did not get that of, of um, Onzerike. And I think a lot of us are just kind of under, under the assumption that's not going to get fixed. Like that's if, if, if we get 10 snaps out of Onzerike, that's 10 snaps more than I think the expectations is right now. And I'm assuming the other two of you, feel similarly uh is that is that accurate eric and ryan yeah i i think at this point you have to look at him as not part of the equation until he proves to be that way you're positively rewarded uh if he is able to come back healthy but you're not i don't know if you can count on him to be part of the rotation so um yeah i it's just such an unknown. And when you're starting to deal with like back pain uh, in the trenches, it becomes a really, you know, bad combination combination of, uh, of, of, you know, injury plus, you know, skill set and, and what you need to do in order to be impactful at the position. So it does seem like it's um, it's a, it's a really tough spot. And uh, while they are, I guess, maybe holding out hope uh, I am, I'm not, accounting for him in my, you know, plans when I start thinking about how they might develop the 53 man roster, as far as Pascal, Pascal's John Kaminsky. That's, that's how you should view him. He, everything that Kaminsky does, Pascal is, is capable of the exact same thing. He's going to rotate with Kaminsky this year. You know, obviously as defensive linemen, they don't play every snap like the offensive linemen do. There's the rotation to keep them fresh and keep them, um, keep them, you know, able to be as impactful as possible. And, and, and Pascal is going to be the main guy that rotates with Kaminsky. They are both this 
uh, closed defensive end, which means that they're going to be guys that can pat, rush the passer. They can set the edge. They can also kick inside in uh, in in pass rushing situations, or you can use them to like uh, take on a tackle when you want to go with like a, a those when you want to add situational pass rushers like a James Houston or, or Julian Aquara, and you can allow a Pascal or Kaminsky to close the edge with the tackle and put Houston against a tight end and ask him, him Houston to be the tight end as opposed to asking him to be the tackle. So they, they offer Pascal and Kaminsky offer a lot of the same types of things. And I, that's where I expect his role to be uh, this year and moving forward. If I can, if I can kind of read between the lines of, of, of some Dwayne's questions here, um, it seems like, and he's certainly not alone in here. Um, I feel like there's a lot of people that are concerned about the pass or I'm sorry, the run defense, right? They, they don't have a, a lot of good run stuffing guys in the interior. A lot of people extend this yep. to linebacker too, right? The lines need better linebackers who can, who can stop the run. Is that a concern for either one of you guys? Yeah, I think that's their biggest concern, which is why I think all of us are really looking at Jalen Carter and uh, saying, my goodness, what a, what a problem solver he would be if everything checks out off the field. Yeah, I, the the thing I love about this last draft class that Holmes had, and, and we've talked we've talked about this a little bit, or you know, we've touched on it in, in recent discussions. But like, you're getting a lot of players that either spent the off season uh, rehabbing from an injury, uh, and you know, arrived to the scene late. I mean, and Josh Pascal's one of those guys, right? I mean, he doesn't show up until um, I believe it was a Cowboys game, right, Week Seven. Um, that was his, that was his first game. You, you have a guy who's, you know, recovering from that, the, the hernia surgery and stuff with, um, with Josh Pascal, uh, you know, James Mitchell in the ACL, um, you know, and, and JMO, obviously the, 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 uh, you know, the most high, high profile one, but Pascal, I think is, I, I love what they have in terms of depth with Kaminsky and Pascal, as, as Eric mentioned, you know, both playing those, those closed end roles. And Dwayne, like bringing up the Carolina game, I think that the Carolina game probably like deep down inside, like that probably burns Dan Campbell, like more than, than anything from last season. I think like the, the, the gaff in Minnesota, the one and six start, like all that can go by the wayside. You know, you want to talk about the other shoe dropping that Carolina game, man, the way that Carolina just ran the football at will. I think that the Lions took that to this offseason. They're like, that is not going to happen again. And that's why Jalen Carter, as as we've all kind of mentioned, like he is, you know, on the field. That that is just the perfect fit. And, you know, when, when it comes to Levi, sometimes sometimes you swing and miss, you know. Um, I'm just glad that the the damage was mitigated by Brad Holmes listening to to either, you know. Uh, some some voice in his head or some voice within the organization to be like, hey, dude, don't trade up into the first round for this guy. Um, just, that was Dorsey. Yeah, just just wait. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I you know shout out John Dorsey then uh, for for limiting the uh, the damage that 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 could have um, been. But you, know, the, I mean, the, it's just the cost of doing business in the NFL, right? Like, I mean, not every draft pick is going to pan out. It sucks that it was a second round pick, but. Um, I, I agree, Jeremy. Like, I, I don't, I don't really see Levi providing much of anything to this football team. And if he does, then cool. It's a, it's a cherry on top. The the only thing I want to add here is because, like, I, 
I think I think the anxiety here is that the Lions just hit, we're all talking about. Yeah, this isn't something that the Lions need to do. This is something they can do with the draft, but it's not something that they've done. They haven't taken care care of it. They didn't they didn't go out and sign a big defensive tackle. They didn't go out. Um, I mean, they they obviously took care of their own, right? That's where their their focus seemed to be. You bring back <clears throat> Kaminsky, you bring back Isaiah Bugs, but they didn't go out and sign a guy. But I would point out, one, that they had interest in Calais Campbell, which shows to me that they do still view that as a significant need. Uh, they would have gotten a guy who not only be a leader in that room, but also would have gotten significant snaps. The other thing I would point to is I don't know if they wanted to get into this market. It was an expensive market for defensive tackles this year, a very, very expensive market. Um, and all you have to do is look at the Jeffrey Simmons extension that that dropped uh, last night, I believe. Um, it's a, it's a high value position. It is a growing position. And I feel, feel like the market was a little inflated this year. And maybe that's why the Lions, I mean, who knows? Maybe the Lions did try and just got priced out. Um, we know they have their, their spending limits that they're pretty strict to. Um, so I, I, I get the anxiety that nothing has been done there to drastically improve the run defense this off season. But one, it got better towards the end of, of last season. I think that's, it's easy to see, have that Panthers game kind of cloud your judgment. But remember, they, they shut down the Packers run game. They shut down uh, the Giants run game. They, they were kind of in a really good streak. And the stats don't really sh- lay it out that well because you play Justin Fields twice. And, and, they, and that's just like, that's not, I don't think that's a good representation of, of how your run defense is when you have a freak like Justin Fields running all over you. Um. So I, I think I think there's a little bit of over concern with the run defense, and at the same time, um, I, I, I do feel like the Lions recognize that that's still a potential need, and I, I, I'm, I'm mostly optimistic that they're going to take care of it in the draft. I, I will say though, like I, I think a valid concern though is the way that running quarterbacks just were a thorn in their side. I mean, literally all the way through the what first quarter of Week 17. You know, Justin Fields rips off that big run and it's like, dude, why is this still a problem? Um, and, and you have to think of like at, at a certain point it has to be a philosophical thing. Right. And we've we've had all the quotes from, um, you know, uh, linebackers coach. I'm blanking. Why? Help. Kelvin Shepard. Kelvin Shepard. Right. Like talking, talking about, about the like, spy. spying <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, you know, but Jeremy, to your point, I totally agree. Like, look, look at the bonkers money that Zach Allen got. Right. Um, you know, three-year deal, 45.75 million, 32 and a half in guarantees. We talked about Draymond Jones and you mentioned Jeffrey Simmons, who apparently the Lions were in on, right? Don't don't confuse the people. There was no actual rumors there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the way that they the way the adjustment that they made in order to adjust to Justin Fields was they added James Houston. They stacked him over the closed end and then Hutchinson was left as on the open end by himself. And Hutchinson was asked to basically hold the side down by himself, which he did. And that evolution in Hutchinson's game, if you remember that game against fields, like he, he never let fields go outside of him. Like he was fields was every time fields got loose, it was off the, the closed end because because Hutchinson had completely shut down his, that his side, the adjustment the Lions made was they stacked Houston. And when they did that essentially went into like a five, two front. And that is what really shut, um, what shut fields down 
for the remainder of the game. And so I think having that five, two arsenal in your, in your bag for uh, Aaron Glenn, that, that kind of got, that was an eye opener for him about halfway or a little bit before halfway through that game against that second game against the bears. I think things finally started to click uh, for Aaron Glenn. All right. We'll, uh, we'll leave the discussion there. Uh, appreciate the question, Dwayne. Hopefully we, we answered it. Uh, yeah, we, we did. Thank you. I really appreciate it though. The Carolina game still makes me mad because they had like what the third string quarterback Chuba Hubbard. It wasn't Ed, yeah. uh, Christian McCaffrey running all over him. It was a bunch of second and third string running backs, a third string quarterback. And they had like what damn near 600 yards on us. So I was hoping to see a little bit more activity, but you know, I still love everything they did. So I'm, I'm really excited for the season, but thank you guys. I appreciate your work. I, no I problem, think the man. big difference between week 16 and week 17 against the Carolina versus the bears was that they didn't make adjustments in Carolina. They did make adjustments versus the bears. And that was a, that was a big feather in Aaron Glenn's cap for me because he never adjusted in that Carolina game. And that's why they continue to get gashed the same way over and over and over. Yeah. That's a, that's a rough one on the resume. And of course, knowing that they, if they had won that game, they would have made the playoffs. Hurts a little bit more, but that's what happens when you start one and six. Um, and, and listen, like sometimes you're just going to have bad weeks, right? Going on the stretch, they did eight and two. That just doesn't happen very often to even really, really good teams. Sometimes there's just stinker weeks and impossible to avoid. Uh, but anyways, um, good discussion there. Good discussion all week. Uh, I'll show, I should say, uh, we got two of these left. So if you haven't yet, make sure you download the Spotify live app before it goes away. Follow us at, at Pride of Detroit and join us every Saturday morning around 9 a.m. Eastern to answer your Lions questions. But until then, for Ryan, for Eric, I'm Jeremy. Thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be kind.